Hey, Real Nerds listeners. There's many ways you can interact with the Real Nerds podcast. You can email us at realnerds at gmail.com. You can hit us on Twitter at Real Nerds. You want to check us on Facebook? You can. Just look for Real Nerds Podcast. You want to leave us a voicemail? Just call 720-6NERDS5. You want to listen to our episodes? You can check us out on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con 2021 and forever. I am Ryan on Zoom again with Brad and Zach. Hello. Hello. What up? Oh, you know, new week, (laughs) new president-elect. It's a good week. Yeah. Number 46. Um, You know, I was like, man, a lot of people voted for Joe Biden. And I go, man, too many people voted for Donald <laughs> Trump. Now we know. Now we yeah. know. It wasn't a mistake like, last time. <laughs> well, no, I just don't lie. I, I mean, I didn't think it was. I, I'm not one of those weird conspiracy people. But Well, I uh, hope it was like just out of apathy. Like that was the difference. But nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it just proves. Like, like I've been saying for four years, uh, it just proves our country is more racist and sexist than we want to believe. Um. And I mean, I'm sticking to that uh, assessment, but it's a new day. It's been beautiful in Colorado. Let's just have one more moment of pessimism. Ryan, do we suck? <laughs> no, no, we're okay. awesome. Okay. I cool. mean, we're good. Not about you, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, 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 but what's really awesome is I think when they're going to be done counting, it's going to be almost 80 million people voted against Trump. Which is awesome. Yeah. That just means that his uh, that people were sick of him as much as everybody else was. Yeah. Although there's still like 160 million who didn't carry their way. So I know, and it's so <laughs> funny too because you know when you listen to the coverage and uh, they say you know melon ballot fraud or whatever he's clinging on to, you know you want to say that I think Colorado has been mail in for like 20 years. Oh yeah. Um, most states are it's just the ones why it took so long like pennsylvania was the first year they had uh widespread melon ballots yeah they threw it together really quick so yeah which they needed to do to accommodate everything going on with COVID too so yeah a lot of things arizona as well so a lot of things were at play it'll be interesting when they make a movie about the the last four years and this is I, the climax i don't want to watch that movie i know we <laughs> lived it <laughs> can we get a 9-11 movie like four years later uh yeah 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 because yeah, united 93 and then world trade center after that and yeah. then maybe like a little bit in between before we got remember me and then zero dark 30 so <laughs> Yeah. Wait, before uh, we get into news, though, I should tell people what we do in our podcast. That was a really <laughs> weird opening we just did. Uh, <laughs> every week on Real Nerds, we see a new movie, sometimes in the theater, and we podcast that experience for the world. Uh, this week, we saw Let Him Go, and we'll be talking about that film. Why are we doing tell a vampire movie from like 2010? 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, oh, that that's let me in. Gotcha. Yeah. First they let him in, then they let him go. <laughs> the, see the 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 finish the trilogy. <laughs> so, anyways, we also talk about movie news, movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, movies that we've watched throughout the week, and um, I, I mean, I guess we we went a little political there. Um, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, it's I'll, I'll cut it out. <laughs> I don't have to cut it out. Um, but but hopefully um, we don't have to uh, deal with that anymore. Um, he'll he'll go away quietly in the night, and it's a beautiful morning. Um, but yeah, I had, I had a Mr. Blue Sky playing in my head for most of the week. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you just imagine baby group dancing as it goes going on. <laughs> Yeah. So, actually, just one quick thing before we go on. How how are your parents, Brad? Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah, we may need to cut this out. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it has not been a fun week, I tell you what. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm lucky that, you know, my... Your family's alignment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't marry Laura if she voted for Donald Trump. That'd be a divorce. Um but uh, you know, in my in my profession, I, I'm an albatross. There's not very many of us <laughs> in my profession. By us, I mean um, leaning blue in my profession. You don't say. Yeah, but for some weird reason, um, the really obnoxious supporters have been really quiet this week. It's been pretty awesome, and the uh... best part is, is so I'm gonna get so. Um, two, two years ago, year and a half ago, I made a bet with, uh, someone who works for the County that Donald Trump would get impeached. And we bet, uh, lunch at mountain prime, which is our like upscale steak place in Idaho Springs. So that happened. And I just got like a sirloin or something, but then we had a bet that he would lose the election. And this time I'm going to get the $70 fucking tomahawk steak and it's going to taste so good. Is that the one where, like, if you eat it in under an hour, you, like, get a, a cash prize? I mean, I wish it was, like, the great outdoors. <laughs> but no. Um, I don't know how big it is, but it's $70. And, um, you know, normally I wouldn't jack him up, but he just got a prom- promoted to being a sergeant. So he makes a lot of money now. So he's going to pay. <laughs> okay. oh, it's going to taste so sweet. Oh, is, man. It, is it a steak butchered from the only like the, the godliest of cows? Like that seems like a lot for a steak. Uh, Tomahawk steak is a ribeye that has the, it's like a huge thick part of the ribeye that still has the rib bone connected to it. Oh, um, okay. That does sound delicious. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Get it medium oh. rare. Get it's some, actually- they, every day they have a new risotto there and it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I might even get like a soup just to make the bill really expensive. I gotta find a I gotta find a way to make the bill like three hundred and six dollars, and then I can say, "Hey, this is how many electoral votes Biden got." Do you re- Do you remember that David Cross bit? It's in one of his stand up specials where he talks about like a dessert with gold shavings on it, and the oh, yeah. that it took to oh, get yeah. that. Like that's what you should try to find is like the most expensive dinner dessert menu that has like gold <laughs> shavings on it. <laughs> Odorless, single cheese, yeah. gold. <laughs> and I think that restaurant is actually in Trump Tower. <laughs> oh man! So uh, George, you can just tell him with uh, his sweet tax cut, he can pay for the steak. You know, <laughs> totally. <laughs> but we talk about movies, and yes. um, 
Brad segue that happened 10 minutes ago is going to happen now. This is movie news. It's real news. Yes. Um, even amidst celebration, there is a mourning to happen and it comes in the form of Alex Trebek, uh, who passed away at the age of 80. Um, I'll take what is sadness for 500 guys. This was sad. It, it wasn't unexpected. <laughs> the answer is the year 2020. Yes, exactly. Or I mean, scientifically, it's pancreatic cancer, but yeah, 2020. Yes. <laughs> thank, thank, you, thank, you for, thank you for leading to that, Brad. Yeah, he had been but, diagnosed uh, with stage four cancer last year, so this I, was kind of expected. Yeah, I got... Um, so DC Comics, they're, they don't put stuff in previews anymore because they dropped Diamond as a distributor. So they have this digital one called DC Direct, and they got rid of all their Wonder Woman 84 tie-in covers for December. So I'm guessing in the next day or so, that's going to be announced as being delayed again. Yeah, taking a guess. But anyway, back to Mr. Trebek. Um, Not really a film guy, but he was populating our televisions for years. Like, If there's anybody in here who didn't watch Jeopardy at some point in their lives, if not constantly, then you're just lying to yourselves because super, uh, it, it was a wonderful show. My family and I have, uh, we still watch it together and we tally each other to figure out who answered the most questions in the house. Um, but he did appear in a bunch of films, mostly as himself. He even appeared on Rugrats as a character called Alan Quebec, uh, who was the host of a game show. When Dee Wait a minute, he's also from Canada. He is clever Rugrats at writers. Yeah, yeah, I know they're they're just super super on on the ball there with their naming skills. Uh, but he also appeared on The Simpsons, The X Files. Um, he was in Groundhog Day as himself, um, and uh, White Man Can't Jump, Shortcuts. Um, so yeah, I mean his biggest heart, legacy. Apparently. What he's in Spy Heart. Spy Heart apparently. Yeah, hmm. yeah, that Finding Forrester as the host of Jeopardy. Charlie's Angels. Um, he was on Saturday Night Live more than once, obviously because one of the biggest SNL sketches within the last twenty years has been Celebrity Jeopardy. Um, in fact, on- oh man, he's he's in Free Guy. Oh, oh so he R- Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Oh wow, really? Oh, he's wow. playing himself. So, uh, so that'll be his uh, the 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 opening credits for uh, the new Twentieth Century Studios will be a, a montage of him, correct? Like. <laughs> the way they did for Stanley. No, um, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, that's, that's a major like legacy to leave behind of a game show host where like in a world where I feel like game shows like Jeopardy and even Wheel of Fortune don't particularly exist in that form anymore. Like they've changed uh, forms and shapes so often in the past 20 years. Um, and they're a little bit more reality driven and less about like the formality of like, you have this much time to answer this question or so-and-so. So, um, he will yeah, he, definitely miss. He, he, he hosts a, a couple game shows, um, before Jeopardy, but, um, there was a different incarnation of double dare in the seventies that he hosted. Yep. He did double dare within that same, uh, time frame. He also did high rollers stars on ice, the $128,000 question, um, pitfall battle stars, starcade, um, he doesn't start his gig on Jeopardy until 1984. Um, and he also uh, kind of uh, helped got, out with... There's a Super Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Yep, Super Jeopardy in 1990, to tell the truth. Um, he 
this is a fun story that I did not know happened in 1987 or 1997, I should say on April fool's day, he and Pat Sajak switched uh, positions. So uh, Trebek hosted wheel of fortune and Sajak hosted uh, jeopardy. So that's kind of cute. And they had a friendly rivalry over the years. So uh, nice little uh, Benny Allen thing going on for them. Um, but uh, hands down uh, the, uh, the, the one thing that is amazing is like, he's, the host of a game show that captured the nation's attention more than once within the last 20 years because of the people who were on a roll. Um, and if you watch the show, if, if contestants got an answer that was obviously wrong, he had this wonderful way of being snarled without being an asshole. Like he would just like, it was like a, it was like a flyby like burn that he was able to apply to the people who were not getting the obvious questions. Right. So um, yeah, it's very much a shame. Hence the inspiration but, for Celebrity Jeopardy on SNL. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, on Will Ferrell's final appearance, uh, final show for SNL, um, Alex Trebek came out himself to uh, congratulate him. So um, that a lot of those videos are available on the SNL app and on YouTube. So if you want to see them, um, it's a, it's weird. The the real life Sean Connery, the real life um, Alex Trebek, and the real life Burt Reynolds are now all gone. So now they all have to be replaced by their doppelgangers, which are Will Ferrell, Norm Macdonald, and Daryl Hammond. So maybe Daryl Hammond uh, could uh, host Jeopardy because I don't think you'd get Will Ferrell to do it, but maybe Daryl Hammond can do a good Trebek impression or something. Um, but yeah, it has been said that he filmed enough shows to last up until December 25th, but no producers of the show have announced any plans for a replacement host yet. So, um, yeah, we'll fail to do it. Alex. Yeah. But we do, you know, maybe we should get Brad to do it. He's calm enough that he could pull off the Trebek kind of, kind of personality on the air. Well, it, Trebek was also you... smart enough to play the Jeopardy game. So, <laughs> Um, Brad, all you got to do is read some books. It's very simple. <laughs> all right, I'll study everything ever. Yeah, everything ever done. Yeah, you got to be done by the end of the week. Yep, I'm on it. <laughs> Ryan starts shipping out your entire library to Brad. He's going to need it. Actually, they should get like Ken Jennings to do it or something. Oh yeah, he makes he makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that'd be a great idea. Yeah, but anyway, so yeah. Um, moving on. Uh, there wasn't like a whole ton of stuff that happened. Um, I think the biggest one is that Johnny Depp um, has um, dropped out of the Fantastic Beast franchise um, following the court case um, in the he UK. dropped out of it, or they're like, "Hey, Sad, sadly asked well, to leave." He was asked to leave, and he <laughs> he posi- let me finish. He he positioned it as he is agreeing to step down at Warner Brothers' request. So um, you could say he dropped out because he didn't go kip- kicking and screaming. However, yeah, so I don't know what they're going to do with Fantastic Beasts between this and some other stuff that's been going on in the Potter world. Um, I don't even know if anybody really cares if those movies get made or not at this point. <laughs> oh, I think it's already in production. Oh, really? Okay, well, then they're... Been filming for a couple weeks. I-, I would just bring back Colin Farrell. That's that's what the general consensus is across the internet is bring back Colin Farrell, which I'd agree with because he's really good in that first Fantastic Beast movie. So he's too. on my I, issue with that movie. That was one of those reveals at the end of the first Fantastic Beast. I think people groaned at. <laughs> yeah, well, and this was—I mean, I don't know. I didn't see either. So, Colin Farrell and Johnny Depp played the same villain. 
It's because Grindelwald can change his own appearance and form. So, oh, so he could just be anybody in the third one. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, like at this point, you could get literally anybody else. You could, you know, you could get Ryan Reynolds to do it for a, in a feasible world, but <laughs> yeah, so this isn't that weird at all, really. Which I kind of want to see Ryan Reynolds be an evil wizard. I don't know why, but <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, yeah. So we'll we'll see how everything's developed. The movie is set to debut in summer twenty twenty two. I did not even realize that was the thing. So okay, um, well we'll see how that uh, works out. Um, we'll move on to another franchise. Um, we got technically a first image of Spider-Man 3, but it's not really an image. Uh, Tom Holland posted a picture of himself wearing an extra mask on top of his Spider-Man mask <laughs> um, with the tagline, wear a mask, I'm wearing two. So, My favorite Spider-Man. thing from the last week um, in movie-wise is that Tom Holland flew from somewhere in Europe and the next, uh, finishing Uncharted, and the next day he was filming Spider-Man like yes that's what's happened that's what happens when you're in your early 20s and you're full of caffeine you can do whatever you want right <laughs> that or i mean here's the thing is if sony's gonna pay him i don't know probably 20 million dollars for uncharted and then they're like we and we need you to shoot spider-man back to back here's another 20 million dollars like, all right sounds good ryan um do you think i i could pull off playing spider-man because i want 20 million dollars <laughs> um Yes. Yeah. Or like a bizarro world spider. I mean, this is the multiverse. I could be the the Spider Man from the universe that sucks. Um, <laughs> um anyway, let's move on. Um Christopher Nolan had some stuff to say about the tenant release. Um which I honestly thought was gonna be him kind of backlashing, but he does make a fair point. No, uh, I think I think that interview, he's spot on. Yeah, he said, and this is the quote, this is the big quote from the Los Angeles Times um, interview that he did. Warner Brothers released Tenet, and I'm thrilled that it has made almost $350 million, but I am worried that the studios are drawing the wrong conclusions from our release. That rather than looking at where the film has worked well and how that can provide them with much needed revenue, they're looking at it where it hasn't lived up to pre-COVID expectations and will start using that as an excuse to make exhibition take all the losses from the pandemic instead of getting in the game and adapting or rebuilding our businesses, in other words. Um, he's absolutely right because uh, when, once the pandemic hit, your expectations for bajillion dollar movies went out the window and you as a studio already make enough of that off of home video and digital alone. So you have to adjust your expectations if you want to keep that tradition going instead yeah, of just I think it it's die. weird too. Like when you go into grocery stores and there's tie in products for wonder woman and the minions. And all this shit. Oh, 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 God. Oh, I haven't seen oh. toys for Dune. <laughs> Ryan. So at the top of the pandemic, um, I'm a big fan of those, Pillsbury place and bake cookies. And at the top of the pandemic, I was shopping and um, like one of the, it was like the one week I went out and there were boxes upon boxes of minions take place and bake cookies. And I scooped them all up. Nice. <laughs> there was a reason that I gained a little bit of weight during uh, the, the big part of the pandemic was because all of them were minion cookies going right into my stomach. <laughs> um, now we have, um, I mean, there's still Wonder Woman stuff and Call of Duty stuff out there, but like, I mean, Wonder Woman stuff, like Dorito advertisements were there for months because the movie was supposed to come out in the summer. So Doritos don't give a fuck. They're just going to put out their product anyway. But, um, but yeah. And um, 
you know, and Nolan also said that long-term movie going is a part of life, like restaurants and everything else. But right now everybody has to adapt to new reality. So I think he has a lot more hope that theatrical exhibition will stick around. And I, you know, I tend to, I'm tend to, I think so. What he says, you know, I don't know how your guys's theater was, but when I went and saw let him go, mine was sold out. Yeah. Mine, mine was pretty much. Mine, yeah. was, mine was dead, but it was also the afternoon. So. Yeah. And then I, and then I was reading uh variety and it made almost $5 million. That's not that bad for only being in like 500 theaters or something. And when we talk about the movie today, you know, like given the, given what the movie is in a world that has become accustomed to, tentpole films like the fact that it made this much in the middle of this pandemic is actually a testament to its abilities but i'm actually we'll kind of curious to see how our movie of the week next week does i'd be really stoked if it did really well um our movie next week is freaky mm-hmm. um, with vince vaughn because they're, they're actually promoting it mm-hmm. and they're sticking to their release date and it's a friday the 13th so uh, I, I think it might um, work out well for blumhouse yeah. Well, you know, the House of Blum needs no help. They're doing just fine. I don't know if you know this. They have Halloween in their back pocket, Brian. It's the greatest thing to have in your back pocket. Halloween. Um, anyway, I'll stop talking about a great franchise now. And uh, we'll move along to this is a story that I found was very interesting. So I didn't know this happened. Did you guys know that the remains of Richard III were found under a parking garage? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I did not know this. Um, but apparently Jeff Pope, Steve Coogan, and uh, Stephen Frears knew about it, and they're turning it into a movie called The Lost King, and it's set to be about uh, the woman who uh, led the charge to get the remains dug up because when she did the research and concluded that it was um, underneath the parking garage, people wouldn't believe her, but she pressed on and got the job done. So this sounds like a fun movie. If anybody hasn't seen Philomena, you should watch Philomena. It's really good. It's uh, it proves that Steve Coogan's not just a strictly comedic actor. And actually, if you watch uh, Stan and Ollie, it proves that he has a lot of dramatic range. Um, and then Ryan, uh, Brad, this is news just for you. It's not like strictly a confirmation of anything other than people want to do this. But um, sorry, my phone's. Late. Bobby Herbeck, who was one of the screenwriters of the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which we did a retro episode on, um, he has had conversations with Steve Barron and Brian Henson to try to do a reboot of the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to basically do another film within the timeline of the um, uh, the original Ninja Turtles movies that you are such a fan of. So basically um, like TMNT4? That's... See, that's what I think they should do. But the the quote is weird because he's like, yes, the answer is yes. We're trying to make that happen. We want to do a reboot. We got our fans to come on. Fans come to us on Instagram and they're like, why don't you do a reboot of our first movie? We'd love to do it. Um, And it seems like uh, that terminology of reboot was used incorrectly because it looks like they want to just establish uh, another entry in the series. Um, It sounds like more of a sequel because the 2014 movie was the reboot. Yeah. So, I mean, my question is, Brad, is what would you want it to be if being a fan of this particular iteration of the Turtles? Um, I know you like all Turtles, but I know you like love these movies. So, Yeah, I've, I've been saying it for years. Um, do the live action, you know, Henson company suits and 
prosthetics um, and just use the where the wild things are face mapping. Um, so it's just the heads oh. are animated. And then uh, you can do, like they never touched the uh, the sci-fi aspect of, I mean, Turtles mutating is sci-fi already, but like the Triceratons and the Utroms and all the space stuff you could do for a fourth movie. Yeah, they never did um, Krang either in well, those movies. Yeah. Uh, Krang would in those movies would be just a neutron. Krang is a product of the cartoon, so Okay. Dang. <laughs> Speaking Dang. of Ninja Turtles, hey Brad, did you uh just get the regular cover for the last Ronin or did you get any variants? I got a couple variants, yeah. I got the um I mean the regular cover is hard to find anyway, but uh I got the Kevin Eastman one where it's uh drawn like the Dark Knight Returns cover. Nice. And then two from from Ben Bishop. Um He's a, he was a one of the artists that showed up at Denver Comic Con a couple of times, so he had two covers. Yeah, I, I, the only reason I'm asking is because I, I mean I got it and I got just the regular cover, uh, just because you told me about the story. I'm like, oh, that sounds really cool, and um, it's already selling for like thirty dollars. Uh, yeah, the the Santa Luco cover is actually at Mile High Comics right now for seventy five. Yeah, it's 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 like the um, and they have like seventy covers, so I'm like I'm not gonna bother <laughs> trying to get no, them all. <laughs> no, I mean I I wouldn't get them all. I was, I was just it's like one of the hottest books I've seen, you know, before it's released. Sent well, I guess Punchline, but <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm blown away. Like it's it's great, like to have that much demand for a turtles book. But that and the comic's really cool. Did you read it? Oh yeah, that's it's, a great comic. I called yeah. it. I'm so proud of myself. Is it, just, is, it just me, Brad, or, is it just me, Brad, or are Turtles kind of on a kick this year? Because there's been a lot of Turtle news, more so than I've ever seen before. Well, it was the 30th anniversary of everyone's favorite Turtle movie. So, um, yes, it, across it the true. board, my favorite. like I've been recollecting the toys and, you know, like a, one of the figures in the box, you know, before this year, you know, you could get for like 50 bucks and now they're selling for like $200. Yeah. So it's wild. Incidentally, listeners need to go to, if they have Instagrams, need to go to Radley TMNT to uh, see Brad's awesome collection. My That's collection, one, of the, yeah. one of the coolest Instagram pages I follow, hands down, because I'm just like, I had, there's one you posted today of like pizza, uh, pizza Donatello or something like that, but he has like a, like, is that a hot dog sticking out of his mouth or something? It looks weird. <laughs> uh, it's piece, piece, It might be a pepperoni. Uh, okay. For the angle of it made it look like a hot dog and or a cigar. <laughs> Yeah, it's a piece, pizza toss and turtles. You, 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 they had the, these little pizza boxes in their chest that you could load with pizzas and they would shoot them. Oh, that's um, awesome. But yeah, like I was on my work trip when the last run in drop, so I was freaking out the whole time, wondering if it was actually going to end up in my old slot. Yeah. Um, and last week, Malhai didn't put uh, the regular series 110 in there. So I had to go to different stores to find all the you know covers. So I opened a second slot over at Hero Headquarters just to cover my last run bases for the rest of the run. Uh, right. But yeah, all the way through Michigan to Denver, I went to four or five uh, shops and just within a day, no last run in. So. Yeah, it's interesting. It's awesome. Yeah. I love when comics get like that. They're really popular, yeah. Hey, you got your quarantined. You got plenty of time to read. Um and then uh, the last piece of news needs to go interrupted while I um, say this out loud. So it's been reported that uh, because of a, um, of their removal from Peacock, 
uh, the Harry Potter movies are no longer streaming on any service. Now they did reach out for me to, uh, to give a quote on this matter. And I responded with "Buy the fucking Blu-rays idiots. Um, uh, this started to get like hostile about it, but this seems to be popping up every single week is like something left a streaming service and it's easily remedied by get the physical copy. <laughs> um, but I did, um, find that was interesting is that like i guess the television rights which also extend into the streaming rights of harry potter are owned by nbc universal and they took it off of peacock to have it ready for showings on sci-fi and usa network this month so that thing's flip-flopping around like crazy because everybody had dibs on it for tv release so it's interesting to learn more about how uh television distribution works for film um, but yeah, if you want Harry Potter on uh, Blu-ray and or DVD, they are pretty inexpensive to get. Pretty inexpensive. Unless you have the ultimate editions like I do and they're like, you know. Oh, they're out of print, aren't they? Yeah, they're selling for over like $100 now. Yeah, yeah, that's why I'm not even going to bother. Um, <laughs> I, I do like the look of them on your shelf, though. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of like, damn, I, I want those. Um, but yeah, that is news. Oh, man, that is a sausage in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Well, I said hot dog, but yeah. Or hot dog, yeah, whatever. When I first saw it on the page, I was like, it looks like a cigar. <laughs> like, yeah, but yeah, no, the other turtles had, oh, no, they all do. <laughs> no, just Leo and Don, like sausage yeah. in their mouths. Uh, yeah, Mikey's got a pizza and Raph has nothing. <laughs> Ralph doesn't eat. He's too angry to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Too brooding, too too brooding to binge on food. Um, anyway, yeah, that's news. Uh, last week, Corinne didn't get us her catching the classics in time, so this week we're going to play it right now. Corinne, what are you watching? Hey, nerds! This is Corinne for part thirty-seven of Catching the Classics, and today is a double feature. I will be talking about Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai and the original version of The Magnificent Seven, the one with Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen. So on the whole, I mean, granted, I just finished watching Magnificent Seven, and it's been a couple of weeks since I've seen Seven Samurai now. Um, but it was kind of amazing, like, as I was watching Seven, or The Magnificent Seven, like, how much of the Seven Samurai's plot points came back to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of that thing, and that's, like, that other scene. And, um, on the whole, I don't know if I could say that I like one over the other. I think the pacing and the character work in Seven Samurai was better. And granted, that's because they have a lot more time. The movie's three and a half hours long, and Magnificent Seven is two hours. Which, I have to admit, um... The copy of the DVD that I got from the library on Magnificent Seven was starting to, like, mess up in a couple of scenes, so I had to skip the training montage, and I had to skip um, part of the, I don't know if it was the fight, but kind of like the aftermath of the first fight. The Magnificent Seven, like, apparently rode out of town, came back in, and, like, all the bandits were in the town, and it was like, oh, a surprise. It's like, oh, I guess they left. I don't, I didn't, I didn't get to see that scene. So, admittedly, um, <laughs> I, I am a little biased, but 
yeah, like I said, I think the characters in the, um, in Seven Samurai were a lot stronger. But on the other hand, I think Magnificent Seven had better theme work. I think it, uh, also had, like, a better, like, more rousing, uh, fight there at the very end, where the the fact that, um, the Magnificent Seven, you know, they choose, like, okay, we're gonna leave, um, to, you know, to keep the villagers safe and everything, and then once they get to the border and they decide, like, no, we're gonna go back, like, that was a much stronger choice, and it made the, uh, following action sequence a lot, like, more, like, I was a lot more invested in it. Um, it's interesting seeing the parallels between the characters, because I could see, having, having watched The Seven Samurai, I could tell, like, okay, Yule Brenner, like, he is the, I can't remember the, the samurai's names, like, at all, um, but he's, like, the leader, he was the one who, uh, the analog of the guy who pretended to be the monk, and who was the leader of the group, and who kind of helped, um, coordinate all the, the other samurai, and then, um, interestingly, the one they kept calling Chico, the kid, um, he was kind of, like, a combination of Mifune's character from Seven Samurai, and, um, the young up-and-coming samurai, so he was kind of a blend of both those characters, which was interesting for me, because, I was like, okay, so is he gonna live or is he gonna die? Because in Seven Samurai, the kid, uh, like, the young samurai lives at the end, but Mifune's character, who's kind of, like, the rogue of the group, he's not, like, really a samurai, um, and they, again, they kind of translate some of that over into the gunslinger character, the young gunslinger, um, Mifune's character dies in Seven Samurai. Spoilers, obviously. Um... So, I was a little bit worried. I was like, okay, is he going to live at the end? Um, and then he ends up living. But I could see, like, all the other ones. Like, I could see their parallels to um, the guy who was slinging the knife around. I can't remember everyone's names. Um, he was a lot like the... Uh, yeah, I can't remember anybody's names. Uh, but the kind of, like, old and weathered samurai who was, like, you know, he was, like, the expert of the group, other than the bald monk one. Um, yeah, like, it's, it's kind of interesting to see the parallels, how they introduced Bernardo, um, cutting wood, similar scene in Seven Samurai. I was like, oh, that's the woodcutter guy, even though that's, he's not a actual woodcutter, but he was just woodcutting because he needed money. Um, I liked the villagers better in Seven Samurai to some degree. The villagers in Seven Samurai are a lot more desperate. They're way worse off. Like, they are just living in, like, total squalor. They have, like, rags for clothes. Their, their homes are made out of, like, mud and sticks and everything. And they just have, like, absolutely nothing. Um, so you feel... Where, like, you feel more sympathy for them. But, on the other hand, um, they're also kind of, like, you because you get to spend a lot more time with them in Seven Samurai, you get to see a lot more of their flaws. And in The Magnificent Seven, 
the villagers seem, well, obviously they're not, like, well off, but they seem way better off than the villagers in Seven Samurai did. Like, their homes are made of, um, rock and stone and, you know, like, some kind of sod or something, and they have, like, a big festival, and they seem to have, like, furniture and shit. I was like, oh, they have a chair. Wow, super fancy. <laughs> um, so I I didn't feel like they were, like, I definitely felt like their situation was bad, but I never felt like they were as desperate as the villagers in Seven Samurai were, but they were also more likable. And I felt like, again, I missed some scenes, but the decision to let the bandits in was actually really interesting because, like I said, that doesn't happen in Seven Samurai the villagers are, you know, once the seven samurai show up, um, the same scene happens where, you know, nobody comes to greet them, and Mifune's character rings the bell and yells at all of them, like, hey, we're here, like, why aren't you greeting us? And, um, but then they, you know, once they start, like, the training montage, as it were, like, everyone buys in immediately, and they're never, like, oh, is this even worth it? Like, should we keep fighting? And there might have been a little bit of that, but, not to the same degree where they actually let the bandits into the town. Um, that was completely new for the Magnificent Seven. And like I said, I think it made the climax a lot more um, interesting. A lot more rousing, as it were. But, yeah. It was interesting um, seeing the differences between the two. I like the Magnificent Seven... I also, I mean, I, I I loved Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen did a great job. All the actors, all the main uh, seven actors did a great job. The villagers felt really awkward to me. Like, their delivery was, like, really awkward and stilted. And it bothered me initially, but as they got more scenes with the um, the gunslinger characters... I think it worked because that, like, that one scene where the, um, again, can't remember anybody's name, the, the character who wears the gloves, um, the, the gunslinger who wears the gloves, he, you know, he has the nightmare, um, he's, like, having a PTSD flashback or something, and he gets, like, really anxious, and he's freaking out, and the two villagers come in, and they're like, you know, like, you're okay, like, you're you know, you're among friends now, and he, he has this beautiful scene where he's, like, talking about how, you know, he feels bad for the, the life he's lived, and life he's lived is not this great thing, and it's a beautiful scene, and again, it's like, he is just, like, going at it, just chewing the scenery, and they're just kind of, like, they're just there to, give him something to play off of. And it in those instances, I think it works. And there are a couple of similar scenes where the little village kids come to talk to uh, Bernardo, who that was a great little subplot with the kids adopting him. Um, that did not happen in Seven Samurai, and I was glad that they made that change. But, uh, yeah. Both movies are good. I like the fact that Magnificent Seven was a lot shorter, um, but at the same time, I also kind of missed, like, having all that character work and all the background. The way they assemble the Seven doesn't take nearly as long, and like I said, the kind of, um, turn of events that happens with 
the bandits versus the town is a little bit different in the movies. Um, in Seven Samurai, it takes way longer, and it's pretty much just, like, a straight battle the whole time. You know, there's never, like, oh, we think that they're gone for good. Like, no, they knew that they would keep coming back, keep coming back. And, um, again, like, the bald monk character in Seven Samurai, he was, like, my favorite. Um, so that translated over with Yul Brenner, who is one of my favorite actors, um, in old Hollywood. And I was like, oh, man, if they made the change and Yul Brenner's character dies, I will riot. Um, thankfully he did not. They kept that, um, because the leader, the lead samurai makes it out in Seven Samurai at the very end, but, um, he, he impressed me more. He seemed to be a lot more, um, strategic and thorough, and he was, like, going around the town, and he's like, all right, we will do this here, like, we will make a bridge, or we will destroy this bridge, or we will build a, a, a wall or something. Like, he was very thorough in his strategy, and I felt like Yul Brenner was just kind of like, like, he was smart, for sure, but he wasn't as smart as the guy in Seven Samurai, as his analog in that movie. But, again, see, it just, it just translates a little different, because you just don't get to spend as much time with them, so the character work is, in some instances, a little thinner, but they, they focus a lot more on the themes, I think, in Seven Samurai, or in Magnificent Seven, or at least me as a white American audience, um, it just, like, I got the whole, like, life of a gunslinger is terrible, a lot easier than I got, you know, whatever Seven Samurai was trying to say. I think theirs was more about, like, the villagers and the peasants and how their lives are really hard. Because that's the thing, is in Seven Samurai, they they kind of hammer in the differences, because it's, it's more like a caste structure in Japan at the time, and the samurai are kind of like their own class. Like, they are their own um, thing. Like, you are born into a samurai family, you become a samurai. And the um, Ifune character, he is... He's not a, he was not born into a samurai caste, so he's kind of looked down upon. Um, but eventually, the other six samurai, uh, you know, accept him as one of their own, even though he's socially not um, a member of their caste or their class structure or whatever it is. So there's a difference there that it's like the samurai is like a group of families that you are born into, whereas in the Old West, you can become a gunslinger no matter what your background is. So there's just a difference there. Anyway, um, I'll give both movies... Four or four and a half out of five stars. Because they're both good in their own ways, but like I said, there's just pros and cons for for both. So, anyway, don't know what I'm going to watch next time because these are getting fewer and farther between. But uh, whatever it is, I hope it's good. <laughs> all right, talk to you all later. Bye. Yeah, Seven Samurai is awesome. Seven Samurai is awesome. Uh, Yul Brenner in Magnificent Seven is awesome too. I'm glad you liked them. I own it. I've never finished it. Sam and Samurai? Yeah, not that it's bad. It's just I did finish it, <laughs> but I own it. You should you should definitely uh, kick back to it. It's a great yeah. flick. It's yeah, hard when you've seen hours. a lot of. Yeah, 
it's, it's hard when you've seen a lot of modern movies, you know, are, they're derivative of that. So uh, I, I was, I was looking at it from that perspective. I'm just like, Oh, cool. This is like the origin story. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, thank you, Corinne. And, and, then, and then this, and in this version of the Magnificent Seven, you don't have any people going, where's the gold? <laughs> I will always bring that joke back. I love when you, I love listening to that episode of you just <laughs> laying into the ADR of that movie. <laughs> Over one line. It's just unnecessary because like, <laughs> It, it reminds me of there's a Patton Oswald skit where he talks about um, oh, uh, the dubbing and uh, like additional or, lines. Or yeah. Maybe you say stuff off camera. That, <laughs> the transition to the scene. And that's all I can think about. When I think of that. Like I said, I don't know if we're Eighth recording. Eighth floor, lingerie, seventh floor, men's department. <laughs> I don't know if we were recording at the time, but uh, I, I asked brad if i like over exaggerated that and it's only five dollars at best buy so it might be something i buy just to see if i'm my memory of it is way over exaggerated (laughs) i don't think so it should be a it should be a commentary if if it is as bad as you say it is we just do a commentary about it (laughs) you could just bitch on it for the the length of the movie (laughs) um uh Hey, Brad, can we actually still go around town with you right now? You can. Cool. Hey, film buddies. Follow me around Denver. So the 88 Drive-In is the last game in town again. Uh, They're featuring the Smurfs to start, and then Paul Blart Mall Cop, and... Yeah, and then uh, finishing the night with Fury, which I haven't seen. So, oh, so they so they want me to come late at night. Okay, That's yeah, fair. yeah, yeah. On, on lineup. Although it's so dark out so early that late at night is like ten o'clock. So, I, I finally watched Fury for the first time not too long ago, and at night with those with some of those scenes would probably be pretty awesome. So, a lot of flashing going on there. But. Yeah, interesting lineup. Uh, yeah. Not sure what the connection to the November. I think I think they're all Sony films. They are all Sony films. <laughs> there you go. How do I know shit like that? Like, I, I you ever wonder why you remember things like that? You shouldn't, and you totally do. And you're a real you, nerd. You, you know, that's right. I am. I Ryan, know studios release films. Here's the thing, Ryan. We spent all this time worrying about which studio was putting out what that we forgot who founded America at one point. So you know, like we put a priority on one or the other. <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't know. My grades were not great in school, so maybe I'm just bigoted in the room. Um, Movies come out on Blu-ray and Ultra HD. This is what's happening the week of November... What fucking day is it? November 9th or 10th. I don't fucking know. (laughs) Ryan, what are you talking about? It's December 25th. Merry Christmas. (laughs) November 10th. Can it be January 20th yet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I said, wake me up when January begins. Hmm, new Green Day album coming out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I worked with Billy Joel Armstrong. He's a really nice guy. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Anyway, Blu-rays. All right, Ryan, we've got a slew of stuff. Um, 
I'll start with the big one is that The Office, the complete series, is coming to Blu-ray. You can get that in a nice big old box set. That's this week? Yep, this is week. I have it coming, and I totally forgot. And they only dropped it like six bucks. So it cost me like $110. I was like, fuck. Oh, you're in trouble. (laughs) Oof. No, that's all right. It's going to be like the end of Home Alone movies where, you know, Laura just yells out, Ryan, you spent how many dollars on the office again? One eleven. See, that's when no. I'm like, should no. I wait until Black Friday? Let me, let, me, let me bring this back around to the office. She's going to see the charge in, my, uh, in our account. She's going to go, no, please, God, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, at this point in our relationship, she's just like, whatever. She's like, and then you just look at the camera. She's like, I have gotten better though, um, buying Blu-rays and stuff. So she is proud of me. Yeah, yeah, Ryan, you've told me about ones that you've uh, resisted the urge on. That I'm like, I can't believe you have willpower that strong. She's like, why are you the way that you are? Every time I try to have a little fun. <laughs> I am excited though. You know, here's the thing is, yeah, it's a hundred dollars, but I was looking, it's like 37 discs. 37. And, like, <laughs> yeah. and, and um, it's going to be on Peacock where like they have commercial breaks during it. Yeah. So, Actually, uh, you should get both because the Blu-ray has different edited shows than streaming. That's so, right. This is an instance where that, sh- that if you're an office fan, you should have both. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, continue on with the next. Sorry. No, it's fine. I just got another request for another quote regarding physical media. And I said, buy it. <laughs> um, uh, so, but the big movie release this week in terms of a, a new film is Bill and Ted Face the Music is coming to Blu-ray. Um, so you can pick Excellent. that up. I kind of want to, I want, I'm definitely going to get it, but I have this weird feeling that Shout Factory may do something with it at some point or try to redo their Bill and Ted set. I'm hoping that'd be cool. Um, and then uh, Brad, something you told me was going to happen that I was like eagerly waiting for that Monty Python is, um, has not only been remastered as you alluded to, but now we've got a Blu-ray version of it. Monty Python's flying circus, the complete series one through four, uh, is coming to Blu-ray. So, um, I will definitely be picking that up because I'd love to see what those transfers look like. Um, Kino Lorber is putting out Amazon women on the moon. Um, which Ryan, I've never seen this movie, but I've seen clips from it. Have you I, watched I, it before? It, it, no, but it's really infamous for being really shitty. Really? Okay. So I, I, I I've never seen it. Uh, the clip that I've seen the most from it is um, the parody of the Invisible Man, where the guy thinks he's invisible, but he's just walking around naked throughout an entire tavern, and it is pretty funny. Um, yeah, you know the what I do like about Kino Lorber is they. Like, hey, we'll license that movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they put out case, so many Blu-rays. Case in point for the next couple of films I'm about to discuss. Uh, one of them that they're putting out is Bustin' Loose uh, with Richard Pryor and Cicely Tyson uh, from 1981. Um, but uh, really, the, the creme de la creme of this, uh, we get to talk about uh, old Clinty again, because three of his films are coming uh, to Kino Lorber Blu-ray. Um, you will get such classics as The Beguiled, the Iger Sanction, and Play Misty for Me. Now, 
all three of these films have their merits. Uh, Iger Sanction is the weakest one, but it does have George Kennedy in it. And it is an interesting mountain climbing movie. So I would recommend it. Uh, The Beguiled is very, very good, despite the fact that it is, it's the most unlikable I think Clint Eastwood's ever been in a movie intentionally. Um, And then Play Misty for Me is actually a wonderful slasher film that I think, Ryan, have you seen Play Misty for Me? Mm -mm. You would like it. It's a very nice little tension-filled movie with uh, Jessica, um, uh, Jessica Walters from Arrested Development uh, plays essentially the killer in the movie. And she's really good. Um, so yeah, but if you want to check those out, please do. They look, they are a lot of fun. Uh, Screen Factory is also getting in on the game this week. They're putting out Brides of Dracula, um, a hammer horror film from 1960. Um, and they are also putting out War of the Colossal Beast, um, which if you've watched MST3K, you have seen this film in some form or fashion, uh, but now you can watch it on its own merits. It's a bird eye Gordon movie. And uh, those are always a lot of fun. Um, they're not like terrible, but they're also not great either. Like they're, they're just, they are what you think of when you think of 50 sci-fi at many points. Um, They're also putting out uh, a movie called how to make a monster from 1958, um, which I've never seen before. Um, But some of these are ones I might just buy blind by. Um, And then it looks like Paramount pictures for whatever reason is putting out the odd couple Two. And yet I can't get the odd couple one on Blu-ray. So um, I'm going to just say that sounds ridiculous on all fronts. Um, but uh, never mind my bitching about that. Uh, Warner Archive is putting out Tennessee Johnson uh, uh, with Van Heflin and Lionel Barrymore from 1942. Um, and Criterion is putting out a Charles Weil film called Girlfriends from 1978 and it looks like that is virtually it. So this is totally off topic, but um, for some reason on Blu-ray.com, they have the 2020 Mulan listed. I think that doesn't come out till December. But have you seen the steelbook for it? It's amazing. It's live like action a, and the animated are both looking pretty good. Yeah, the, the live action one is like this watercolor. It's badass. So I'll be getting that. I think that comes out in December, though. I still need to see the movie. <laughs> well, I think we're all waiting, technically, I guess, except for Corinne. Uh, yeah, Best Buy doesn't have a date for it, so... I've been watching an unboxing video of the Office set, and mm-hmm. all the cases are the same size, it, it, which is funny because the first season was only one disc, I think, even as a DVD. <laughs> yeah. So... I, it's interesting. I, I'm interested to see how they handle uh, the four free, the four three frame on that um, season. I really hope they just uh, up converted, up converted it, and uh, yeah, if they trim off, if they trim off the top and bottom a little bit, whatever you know. Yeah, like it's on streaming. Hey Ryan, I do have one more that that might interest both of us. Uh, coming from Arrow. They're doing something called the American Horror Project, and their first volume is coming out. These are United uh, U.S. horror f- releases that have just never really gotten any attention or release. Um, but there's three films in the pack. The first one is The Witch Who Came from the Sea, Molestes Carnival of Blood, and The Premonition. Um, that yeah, I think they release one of these every year. This one's volume one, it says. 
I remember reading it. Maybe they've released them in Europe before. Okay, yeah, because Arrow, Arrow kind of moves back and forth, or yeah. the, the, the uh, U.S. arm works differently. But yeah, this might be something to check out, Ryan. Yeah, for sure. And then also, there is the last one actually is The Last Dance. The Michael Jordan uh, documentary from ESPN is now available on DVD and Blu-ray, um, or you can watch it on Netflix because that's where they're primarily streaming it right now. Um, hmm. I saw it. I, I liked it. It wasn't as um, – it seemed like it was very, very one-sided, but, you know, like, whatever. I mean, I I knew virtually nothing about the Bulls, so I only knew Michael Jordan was fighting for the rights of the world with the Looney Tunes in Space Jam. So, that's um, And that's – I'd actually point out uh, uh, Barnes & Noble is having a 50% off Criterion sale. They right are now, so take advantage of that. I know yeah, I got I, I got the War of the Worlds. I I went to oh, the one. You in, too? <laughs> yeah, I went to the one in Littleton, and like they they have a lot, but um, I think that one might be the most popular one for Criterion because there's uh, they they're constantly restocking it, but it seems like they don't have a huge selection of them. You should go to Colorado Boulevard because that's where I got mine, and they seemed like they had everything. Nice. Except for Parasite. That was sold out. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of um, holding... I'm, I'm holding... I can't remember when Irishman is supposed to come out, but that's what I want to get. But I already sent my list off to Ryan. Like, I'm looking for Holiday and Only Angels Have Wings. Yeah, so. and I only got, um, you know, The War of the Worlds because I have... I spent $100 on The Office. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I totally forgot I pre-ordered. And I meant to keep on looking at it to see if it was going to drop. And then, you know, I get an update from U.S. Bank saying, um, you know, charge Amazon. And then Amazon sends me, your item is shipped. I'm like, well. Can't go back now. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I guess I could send it back, but I mean, whatever. Oh, no, actually. Nobody I, sends back the office. And, yeah. and let's be honest, Ryan. You really got the War of the Worlds, not for the movie. You just wanted to hear a crystal clear version of that broadcast from 1938 that we all love the most. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Let's go with that, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, Actually, I, I love the cover art for it. It is it is beautiful artwork. Have That's you seen? I got the, it. Have you seen the movie before, Ryan? Yeah. Oh God, I do like the visual effects in it. Yeah, many um, years ago. Yeah, George Powell, really interesting cat. Um, but yeah, got some Blu-rays. We watch films throughout the week. So uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Brad, what'd you watch this week? I watched a few things, starting with... Oh, I don't have my list up. What did I do? Sorry. No, you're not. Starting with uh, Poltergeist, which I've never seen before. Hmm. Ooh. The original from 82. Uh, it was playing ahead of Friday the 13th at the drive-in a couple weeks ago. But I got there wow. late, so I, I got in, I think, halfway through the movie. Um, and it's actually, uh, you know, uh, the whole story of, you know, Spielberg ghost directing it, basically. Um, I can, I can see how it's edited together, kind of like there's some cuts that just feel like they're piecing unfinished work together, I guess. Um, Uh but it's, it's, it was fun to, I wouldn't say it was like scary or anything. But uh, it, it's fun to see where a lot of stuff from pop culture has referenced mm-hmm. it. 
Um, like the whole there here, I think I always attributed to a different movie. So there's that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really just a, a family is in a house and <laughs> one day they just start getting haunted by poltergeist and um, I'm surprised at how little the real estate company figured into it considering what the plot was. Um, well, I think all you need is those small scenes with James Karen to basically imply what's going on with the real estate situation of that house. <laughs> well, I, I feel I felt like like it would have been a strong B story because really the movie is just you know the 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 ghost doing weird things to everybody for about I don't know like an hour of the movie. Um, you what were you say? No, no, nothing. I was making a adjustment in my chair oh yeah uh, yeah and there's kind of like the whole real estate company building all the houses on a burial ground just kind of figures into the end real, real, like really quick you know so i i'm interested to watch the remake which has sam rockwell in it so uh ryan i'm a- gonna defer to you on that one it's okay <laughs> okay um but the, the effects are like pretty like impressive you know, for, for its time, um, like a really creative, like work to like when everything gets sucked into the closet, you know, when like things float around the room, like it's actually, I was, I was pretty impressed. So, um, the, uh, this, this, this man, uh, Craig T. Nelson tearing off his, the skin off his face still haunts oh, me. Oh yeah. That's such a good effect. And like, sli- and sliding everyone around the kitchen, um, yeah. And the, the 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 chair stacking, um, you know, with the clarity of streaming, you can actually see, uh, you know, it's a single shot where the the table setup is all clear, and then it pans over to the you know the kitchen part of the room, and then as it pans back to the left, you can see the plant in the corner shake just a little bit, uh, to where you know they move stuff around. You know, there's like a grip hiding under there, mm-hmm. so they, that ruined that illusion. But um, I, I did try to figure out like, well, how do they? It must be a, a removable wall, I guess, or um, to get that many chairs in there that quick. You know, I mean, they're probably all screwed together, but you know, the door's not that big in any of the spaces. So, yeah, as a filmmaker, I was trying to dissect that. So, yeah, Poltergeist, it's all right. Um, it's you know, it's weird with the whole Spielberg and Hooper thing. Like, I find it really hard to believe that that people could just toss aside Hooper's involvement in that movie so casually, like. There's a lot of stuff in that film where you watch and you're just like, this is clearly something that that Hooper's in control of. Like he wasn't inept, you know? Um, yeah. I feel like he was uh, instrumental in the scares part of it. Whereas, much, whereas Spielberg probably, and that's where the editing comes in, where it feels like Spielberg probably re-edited it toward a more like the family story, like reinforced that. Yeah. So it, that would, that would hold more water in my head. Um, it's actually funny. Um, Tan- Tangina, um, the, the the medium character, has been getting a lot of play in the news with pictures of her in front of the White House, going, "This house is clean." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it um, came out in '82, which I didn't realize the same year oh, as yeah. ET. So interesting. Yeah. Um, then I got to watch uh, the Ninja Turtles movie again in theaters um, as a Fathom event, and. Uh, which is which would normally be cool, but it felt like they were like streaming it off of YouTube. 
Um, <laughs> like it, I, it felt like it was the VHS standard framing of everything, and the frame rate was off, and like all the dialogue came out of the right speaker um, instead of the center. Um, so yeah, like I, the Esquire screenings played much better. Um, but yeah, and the audience wasn't too bad. It was a like a couple moms and their kids and like two other nerds, I guess. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty decent turnout. Were they were, were they fake nerds? Because we're real nerds. Oh, so. everyone but us is fake nerds, dude. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I got to see a. This is a weird one. Uh, there's a movie called Action USA playing at the Draft House. Uh, and you know, all I saw is the thumbnail of just like car stunts going on. It's like, Oh, that looks pretty cool. I'll check it out. Um, and then I was a little late, so I missed the opening Q and a segment. And so I started watching this movie and it's like this movie that's just like celebrates, um, classic eighties, like real stunt action, you know, real car chases, like real people falling out of buildings and, and off of bridges and, um, the gunfights and it's it's all practical and I'm, I'm sitting there watching it thinking it's a modern movie that's uh, uh like honoring the uh like 80s action aesthetic like it's so so meticulously accurate i couldn't believe it you know it, it on the in the vein of like did anyone see the the the, the love witch yeah 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 i thought it was like that because the dialogue is so bad i thought it was a parody, but this is an actual movie from 1989 that mm. Draft House has re-released. It and... says that in the descriptor for um, for it on Alamo. Yeah, I don't read. Let's <laughs> look at cool pictures like cars blowing up. All right, Ryan, you're going to have to host uh, Jeopardy now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's the this uh, woman is t- like tied to this diamond heist. And then the FBI is called in to protect her after her boyfriend is murdered by the bad guys trying to, you know, find out where the diamonds are. Um, and it's just, you know, bad dialogue and cliche, 80s cliches and horrible treatment of her. Um, like everything she does gets everyone else in trouble because she's the woman. Um, and everyone's like super mean to her. And then... Uh, yeah, the FBI guy, it's a buddy cop dynamic. Um, and they just kind of go cross country trying to avoid these bad guys. And at one point, um, like the bad guys hire this uh, freelancer who like, he's this tough guy. And he, he says lines like, you know, they don't make a bullet big enough to stop me. Um, <laughs> and like, she's just sleeping in her hotel room and she wakes up and he's just right there after you thought he was dead the whole time. Um, and he kidnaps her again. She's constantly getting kidnapped. Uh, and you know, they go to this, uh, like one of the, the, the one partner's black. So they go to this cowboy bar and, uh, you know, he's uncomfortable the whole time and they spend a, a excess amount of time dealing with the, the girl who, uh, you buy tickets from to get into the bar. It's like, why are we slowing down the movie for a dispute over how much it costs to get in? Um, yeah, it, it's it's just it, the only really impressive part is that the stunts are all real. You know, the, the, the earliest stunt in the movie is a guy hanging out of a helicopter as it flies through Texas. Um, that's really cool. Um, and then there's just tons of car chases. 
uh, on sidewalks and like this is 89 and everything. So uh, they have more free range to do that. So uh, yeah, not nice. a good story, but um, you know, it's, it's there for the action. So it's um, in the title. <laughs> what's that? It's in the title. Exactly. Although it's not across the USA, it's really just Texas. <laughs> and that's all I watched. Zach? All right. Um, a lot of rewatches for me, um, but some I haven't talked about on this show before. Um, I rewatched The Petrified Forest, Little Caesar, and Public Enemy, uh, and All Through the Night, so I've had a bit of a gangster kind of week um, with those. Um, I, um, It's weird. I would love to talk to James again someday, um, not just on this show in general, but also about the petrified forest. Cause I recommended the film to him years ago. He watched it and he and I had very different views at the time about the reception of that film. And like now when I look at it, I started seeing from his lens a little bit more. Um, Cause it's basically, it's a gangster film um, set in this uh, last chance diner where um, Duke Manti, the world famous killer is holding a bunch of people hostage in the diner um, while he plans his getaway. And there's a lot of in it about intellectualism versus uh, animalistic nature. And it, it, so it's just a, it's a conversation I'd love to have with him again on, at some point, maybe on a, maybe on another um, yesteryear or something. Um, I rewatched to be or not to be, uh, that movie's still great. Ryan and I will be talking about it soon on yesteryear. Um, and then, uh, but the big thing that I uh, rewatched is um, in part of the Orson Welles research, I, uh, Kino Lorber did a transfer of The Stranger that I didn't know existed. So I picked it up a few weeks back and I sat down to watch it. Um, so The Stranger, if nobody's seen it before, it's Edward G. Robinson, Loretta Young, and um, Orson Welles in the movie. Um, Edward G. Robinson plays a government man who's set with the task of apprehending Nazi war criminals who have escaped to South America and then has started blending into American society. And his, the character that he's after, played by Orson Welles, has emaciated himself in this small American town and is marrying one of the daughters of a, of a high judge in society. Uh, and the movie basically is, it's basically a Nazi hunter movie and it plays out. It's a movie that Wells directed because he wanted to prove that he didn't glow in the dark in his own words, that he could make a movie that wasn't artistic. That was, you know, just a typical run of the mill um, thriller or suspense movie. And what he actually ends up doing is proving that he's at the forefront of film noir because the film comes out in 46 around the time that noir is starting to gain traction. And, and you watch the film, you'll see a lot of uh, different mod motifs in the visual scheme of the film that reflect his style, but also bleed into the noir look that we all know so well. Um, Ryan, actually, I think it's a, it's a movie that I think you'll like a lot because it doesn't drag. It's a quick uh, quickly paced film and Edward G. Robinson is just basically out hunting a Nazi in the small town America. So, um, and, um, and it's, um, but I will say that the Kino Lorber transfer of it, it's done through the library of Congress and it was a preserved print. I have this weird feeling that there might be a better transfer out there nowadays because, and I, and I'm sure I'll find one within the week, but the print that they had was very, very um, beaten up. 
there's audio audio dips in quality constantly as if though they lost elements of the soundtrack mm-hmm. um so, but it didn't deter me from the movie. I'd seen it before. It's still, it's still wonderful. Um, it's uh, there's a wonderful scene at the end involving falling off of a clock tower. That is, it's actually one of the reasons why I think Ryan will like the film because something happens to a specific actor in that movie that I think he'd enjoy. <laughs> um, uh, but um, then, yeah. And then um, I rewatched the awful truth today at the film club. And um, I was just reveling again, not just in Grant, but, uh, Bellamy, Ralph Bellamy, um, uh, as Dan is just still Ryan. Like when we were watching it at the Alamo, um, remember when we could go see movies like that at the Alamo? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but remember when we were there, like it just seemed like it, everybody was laughing at virtually every point you could, but like everybody was really digging Bellamy in it. And it's he's such a charming, lovable goof <laughs> in any movie he's in for the most part that like. I, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, it would be a very long task to do, but I'd love to go through every single Ralph Bellamy movie period. Cause he did get pigeonholed more or less into that uh, guy who never gets the girl role. Um, but like a few weeks back, I rewatched the Wolfman and he's the detective in the Wolfman. So he's not even like, there's no love and interest issues with him. He's literally just trying to hunt down who's murdering people in this town. <laughs> Like, um, so, but he's, he's got a great range for it. So, but anyway, yeah. And that's all I watched this week. Yeah. I did not watch that much either. I've been, um, between the election results, I would (laughs) watch friends. So I've been going back through uh, my favorite TV show friends and it's, um, it's really fun rediscovering episodes you love. Um, and, just enjoying the show again. Uh, I think you can get it on HBO Max if you want to stream it. But um, I have the fancy complete series set. Uh, I've also today I watched uh, Back to the Future on 4K with uh, my my buddy, and it's Back to the Future is one of those movies that every time I watch it, it moves so quickly. Um, you know, you remember lines in it and. I, I'm just always reminded about how much I love the movie as a kid. And as I get older, um, I, I still absolutely cherish this film. Uh, I think Michael Keaton is so great in it. Michael um, Keaton? I mean, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> um, oh God, I want to deep fake that. <laughs> He'd be a good doc. Um, you know, just, you know, lines. <laughs> he says, wait a minute, you built a time machine out of a DeLorean and I don't know. Um, and you know, the effects still hold up really well. Um, it actually looks really great in 4k. Uh, yeah, I just, I love that movie. And, uh, Kellen really liked it. His favorite part was when the dog drove the DeLorean. Um, <laughs> Oh, Einstein. Yeah. Dog is driving. How can that be? <laughs> um, everybody work. Uh, and, and the last thing I watched this week is I uh, got to Jason Goes to Hell in my box set, and it has a new 2K scan, um, so it looks better than it's looked before. Uh, the, film, the film is still a mess, uh, <laughs> it, and uh, it is missing a quick scene in it of this dude getting his wrist broken when he tries to punch a possessed person that's Jason. 
And so there's a really quick scene where um, his the two bones pop out of his arm um, that's not in it. Uh, they have a 40-minute interview with Adam Marcus on it, uh, who's the director and writer, well, one of the writers. 40 minutes? Yeah. Um, wow. And, you know, you he he's really enthusiastic, and you, I like listening to him. But then as the interview goes along, because the first – part of it is him talking about how he really got the gig. He was only 23 or 24. He got it because he's friends with Noel Cunningham, who is Sean Cunningham's son. So then when he went to film school, um, he was offered after he got out, he, he wrote uh, my boyfriend's back, which was originally titled uh, Johnny zombie. And so (laughs) when Disney bought it, they changed it from, in his words, a really dark comedy to uh, what it is today, which I still kind of like that film. When Kino Lorber did their really huge sale, I got, I haven't watched it yet. There's a collector's edition Blu-ray I got of it um, that I'm interested to check out. But anyways, um, he does care about the franchise, but again, listening to him, he always has an excuse and he always blames the fans for not understanding his vision for Jason goes to hell. Mm-hmm. And, so it's okay. kind of a great artist when you blame the oh yeah dude the audience for your failure yeah and here's the thing I get that he's proud of his film and I'm not taking anything away from the film um, I mean a case in point is he's talking about what he would do different now that they have a way to you know go back in and add CGI to things and he talks about there's a there's a scene in the film for the they go to the Voorhees house I don't know why the Voorhees house is still standing and it's all decrepit. The film doesn't make any sense. Anyways, the camera pans down and it, and the name Voorhees is on the mailbox and it's misspelled. They forgot an O (laughs) and he blames the prop guys for not spelling it right. But then you go, but dude, you still kept the shot in the movie. Like you don't need that shot. (laughs) It's an establishing shot. You're looking Um, at the monitor. Yeah. Or you have, a script supervisor who's like, hey, that's not right. Dude, that's on you. At the end of the day, if a movie doesn't work, it's on the director. Um, and it, like, it, I get that he likes some things in it, but to call the fans that, that it's their fault that they don't get it, that it's everybody else's fault for not understanding what he wants, I, I think it's just really nearsighted and doesn't... Uh, I don't know. Like, There's moments in it that are great. Like the gore in it's pretty cool. Um I always have a problem when Jason has a tucked in shirt. I don't know. It really bothers me. Like he takes the time to tuck in his shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he does it in um, Jason lives. It, that makes more sense because his shirt's untucked until he kills like the commando guy for paintball. And then he like takes his utility belt and all his weapons and shit. Um, but now he's a, a zombie. So why yeah. would he care at all? Yeah. That's what I mean. Like in Jason goes to hell, he has like a button up shirt. And like a belt, <laughs> it's just, it's really weird. And I, there's an interview with Kane Hodder on the disc too. And he talks about how he doesn't like the movie at all. Well, um, I can imagine. So he's not really in the movie that much. Yeah. He, well, he's, he's not disappointed that he's not in the movie. He talks about that. Uh, of course, the exposition and trying to make it as a body swap movie, it just doesn't work right. And I'll always have an issue with it. I did, um, at Denver Pop Culture Con, and I did a panel with Aaron Gray, who plays Jason's sister in it. 
and Jason is reborn by a he's like some worm demon and at one point he crawls up her crotch after she's dead and goes through her vagina to be reborn mm-hmm. and she said that she she did the film because her son was a fan of Friday the 13th but they didn't tell her that that's what was going to happen and that's not her in it so the first time she saw it was when she went to the premiere and i just think that's sleazy so oh, yeah yeah that's definitely not a wonderful outlook and we're, like, like you know, you know when i talked to her at the at, on the panel she was so nice and she was really gracious about it but then you could tell that it still bothered her and it bothered me too because it's like she's being violated and she wasn't being told yeah about it and she might have been cool about it if they said hey just so you know um at this point he's going to crawl up your and go inside your vagina and that's how jason's going to be reborn yeah i think she might have said hey can't we do it a different way i don't know um here's my i was i was wondering this as you were talking ryan um because i don't i don't like that movie either um but um is it possible that marcus's reactions to fans is in part by like i don't think i think you're probably more fair than most people who will lambast the movie um like is it just that he's just like got so fed up with people giving him shit that now he just uses that as like a fucking comeback because no the only reason i say i only say no and i don't know him he's welcome to come on the show and defend himself yeah by all means like he's not Um, he's not an unintelligent person he's no and that's the thing is like he's passionate and he understands it but i think it it comes from a place of arrogance where Mm -hmm. he he thinks he's smarter than the fans right and that's my only issue is you're you're making a film and yeah i know that you know friday the 13th isn't high art cinema but there is a an established uh fan base to it so right. if you're gonna remove jason from it and you're gonna make a different movie i'm okay with you making a different film but if it doesn't work and you know it doesn't work because there's a whole scene with creighton duke and uh the Steven, the lead, the actor's character's name, where Creighton Duke has to explain the film for like five minutes mm-hmm. because they didn't do a good job explaining what's going on. So they have to have a scene of Creighton Duke telling the audience what's happening in the movie. Yeah, and I think that I think that's just um, that's when you know the film's out of control. And I remember reading, I'll have to go back to my Crystal Lake memories. I'm pretty sure Sean Cunningham had to take over at some point um, because it wasn't getting done and he was treating actors bad. But, you know, it's um, so, yeah, there's a level of arrogance to it that I don't like. And it comes across in every interview I've read or seen him in. He is funny. He does have a funny intro, though. Uh, When you watch the film, he says, hey, thanks for buying this movie for the fourth time. And. And I was thinking, I said, I have bought this movie four times. <laughs> um, there, like my my ultimate thought, because like I, my I don't know how actually like super involved he was in that Texas Chainsaw 3D thing, but like mm-hmm. that was my actual first taste of Adam Marcus with a franchise before I ever saw Final Friday, and my uh, 
my my impression of him is like I appreciate that he wants to think outside the box. I just feel like he's picking the wrong um, places to do so. Agreed. Um, yeah. Whatever. He's more than welcome to come on the show and defend himself. Yeah. Um, and- but yeah, like I said, it's hard. Like he's really passionate about it, and I mean the gore in it is pretty awesome. Um, everybody refers to the lady who split in half. But actually, I, I think the one of my favorite shots is the uh, coroner whose face is like p- mashed in between uh, the, I guess the bench or something, and it, his face goes like through it. And then when Jason pulls him out, it like peels apart. It's pretty awesome. I actually do love the FBI sting at the beginning. Like yeah. that's a fun scene. That's a There's really fun moments. Scene. It has moments, but it, they're just too fleeting for it to be a good film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. That's what I watched this week. Uh, this week, we went and saw Let Him Go. Brad, should people see Let Him Go? Yeah, I think it's a, a pretty good movie. Um, it's intense. It's also kind of like a romance story. Um, not as action-y as the trailer would have you believe, but um, really powerful. You know, it, it's it's all, it's all that measured, like tense meticulous lead up to you know all the good stuff so uh definitely worth checking out zach um yeah uh i think you should so uh i will just say before we get into everything that the trailer did not um completely misled me as brad said um this was a lot more uh reflective than i thought it would be but like the one thing i'll say off the bat hands down it's a really solid efficient film i don't know if it like rises to anything greater than it needs to it's very simple it's very straightforward and it's got top-notch performances across the board so yeah yeah i you'll be surprised when you watch it uh, this is one of my favorite films of the of the year i think the quietness of it the performances are all amazing um, the director has this video where it's called a 60 minute or 60 second film school. And he talks about um, how scenes, you can make a scene tense by just a look. And I'll talk about the scene after we play the trailer. Um, and it's, it's pretty great. And uh, he's pretty spot on with it. Here is the, uh, you should go see this film. It's awesome. Here's a, here's a trailer for let him go. You're going with me or without me. I saw exactly what I've always felt about Donnie Leeboy. And I saw that girl can't protect her child. Margaret Jimmy is her boy. He's your grandson. We're trying to locate a Donnie Leeboy. He married our son's widow. Got our grandson with him. You let it be known you're looking for a wee boy. I'll find you. We thought we'd see Jimmy since we're in the neighborhood. Since you're in the neighborhood. Go careful. Where in the hell are we? We came to see our grandson. My boy doesn't have to answer to you. And we don't have to answer to you. 
She can't finish. So right off the bat, I didn't know this movie took place in the fifties. Yeah, <laughs> uh, looks great though. Uh, it's, it opens with you know this really quiet, really great. Uh, the score in this film is incredible. Um, really quiet mood setting thing, and uh, Kevin Costner and Diane Lane are at their home with their daughter-in-law and their son and they're repairing a fence. The son takes the horse and then the horse comes back with no rider. And um, Kevin Costner finds his son has died from the horse kicking him off. And the next scene, like this is what I love about this movie. So the next scene is uh, Kevin. I can't believe I can't remember. uh, George, George is, he's sad. And Diane Lane is tying his tie and he's wearing all black and, you think he's going to a funeral, but he's actually going to his daughter-in-law's new wedding um, with her new soon-to-be husband. And you realize that that is also sad, that he'll be losing his, uh, maybe not seeing his grandson as much. And, um, you know, it's a really moving film. And then it goes into that the, um, the new husband is abusing his uh, daughter-in-law and his grandchild that Diane Lane, who she sees them, Margaret, she sees that happen. And when she goes to bring them a cake to check on her grandson, they just get up and leave. And Diane Lane's character decides she's going to go find him. And there's a, (laughs) and they go to North Dakota to find their grandson. And that's pretty much the plot of the movie. Yeah. Like said before very simple like it's not like it's it's very much those same kind of like it it, it follows that mold of like you know parents you know coming in to save the day kind of thing um what i was like the first halfway through the movie i was like this is the best geezer exploitation movie of the year because it is like diane lane and kevin costner are grandparents on a mission they're not messing around what I like about it ultimately is like, because of that romantic angle that Brad alluded to, there's a lot of room for them to actually contemplate why they're making the decisions they're making in going to pursue, to get the grandson. Um, Because at a certain point when the film becomes super violent, um, that's when a lot of questions get thrown into play. Like, I guess since we're in spoiler territory now, we can kind of talk about it, but when they finally track down um, it's the um, 
the wee boy, um, <laughs> the wee boy estate in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, Jeffrey Donovan brings him to the fucking house and they have that scene with Blanche, the, mo- the mother of Donnie, her, her um, the, their, uh, the, their daughter-in-law's new beau. That was uh, the, the FBI guy in Honest Thief, right? Um, Jeffrey Donovan? No, no, not, um, I one of believe- the wee boys was, oh yeah, he the is. The dog, yeah. Yeah, 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 he is. He was also in, uh, the shockingly evil film from last year. Um, and he's, he's been in J. Edgar and some other stuff that we've all seen him through stuff. He's actually, re- he's really good in the movie because he plays creepy super well. Um, yeah, I was but trying to we- figure out, like, I've seen this guy recently. What was that from? Um... Would it have been Fargo <laughs> season two? <laughs> no, it was Honest Thief. I, that's the point I was making. Yeah, Honest Thief. Um, but so anyway, but they have that dinner scene that's super tense, super terrifying. Um, and by the time that they have the confrontation where Costner gets his fucking fingers cut off, uh, when they're um, when he's recovering, she's still trying to get. to come up with solutions on how to help other people. And he just cost, this is one of the best Costner scenes I've ever seen in a movie. He just loses it. And he just goes like, what, what, when are you going to stop? (laughs) Like, like the, like how much, how much is enough for you in regards to this quest to unify a family? Um, And uh, Ryan, I think you might be alluding to this with the director video because I haven't seen it yet, but there's a lot of moments where this movie's quiet and it um, creeps the fuck out of you because it's so quiet. There's, um, yeah, there's well, a lot of tension. The director's talking about the scene you just talked about where he, they confront the wee boy clan. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how you build tension by letting it play. Yeah. And there is, I think Kevin Costner is so great in this film because um, when Diane Lane hugs her grandson and doesn't want to give him back. He yeah, does. They, a, yeah. He does this little thing where he scoots and scooches in his chair. Like he's not going to back down from these guys, but he also gives her a look saying, um, this isn't the time or place to do this. Yeah. And there's, and they hold on those shots of them for so fucking long. Like it felt like a Leone standoff in like a Western that he would have done. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was telling uh, you Zach before you saw it, that it's like a film noir slash uh, Western. Yeah. Very much a, a neo-noir Western kind of film. Like it, it there are times when it, the mood feels like a no country or like anything of that nature, but it, it it's so, it doesn't, it feels kind of like a traditional Western if you also shoved a noir film of that same era into it, because like there's a lot of seediness in it. A lot of it takes place in towns. So it's not like they're out on the prairie. Um, but there's like, there's definitely that mood of seediness and unsettled nature in there that like absolutely lends itself to that description. That's why when you texted it to me, I was just like, well, maybe he's overselling this, but this sounds like fun. And then I watched him like, no, everything he described in that text is absolutely what happened in this movie. <laughs> like, um, it, it's, uh, and also Leslie Manville as Blanche, the mom. Uh, if we didn't give her an Oscar for Phantom Thread, which is fine, whatever. I think we owe her one for this because she made pulling pork chops out of an oven creepy. And I don't know how anybody else does that, but her. Um, And by the time 
what what's great about her character is, is that we don't know exactly what her background with her boys has been other than the fact that she's clearly a domineering mother. And I like that we don't, all we know about her is that she's a fucking villain, like a, a, just a flat out terrible human being. Um, and so when she gets shot by Diane, by Diane Lane at the end is like one of the most glorious sights you'll see in the movies this year. In my audience, old people were cheering. <laughs> I, fucking, I applauded. I was the only one in the theater. I was going like, bravo, you know, like that, that was just, that was such a satisfying moment in a movie where, you know, we've seen like, I, I don't know if I'm, bold in saying this but like i don't know like in the last 20 years or 10 10 years is this the best kevin costner performance we've gotten within that time i haven't watched uh, yellowstone so uh. yeah well okay movie not tv uh you know he's he, yeah, I, steel. I, I, I love kevin costner so i'll probably i i don't know i'll have to think i mean three days to kill is pretty close um mm. I'm I'm just, draft day I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen draft day i've heard he's pretty good in draft, he's day. Great in draft day he's uh, what did you think about the movie, Brad? Uh, yeah, I was really hoping to go into it pretending it was a Man of Steel prequel. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the movie, that doesn't make sense. So, <laughs> um, But uh, yeah, I was, I was really impressed with just how, uh, you know, it wasn't a straight up like action movie. It was, uh, you know, the, the title is, has a double meaning. It's yeah. not so much rescuing the kid it's like letting go of their first son's death mm-hmm. well their their son's death um and like that's what you know kevin costner really struggles with um and he it, the really the rest of the movie is really like him trying to convince her to let that go because she's she's projecting it onto the grandson yeah just watching him bear the brunt of all her mistakes um it is interesting too because they how each character is different where uh, Costner's character internalizes it where she is um, really outgoing with it because there's those great, like I actually cried a few times in this film because oh, when she whispers at him, like uh, yeah. after that story, or when he's, uh, you know, shaving. Um, he has a flashback of him shaving with his kid and things like that. And then, you know, it flashes back to the present and she's thinking about it too. And that's, why she loves him and stuff and it's yeah Yeah. it's and he doesn't want to go on this journey at all like she makes him go and just like the whole time you know he makes all these sacrifices for her and then you know i thought the movie was going to end when they're at the the native american uh kids ranch and he's finally convinced her to not do it and i thought like the movie was going to like they're going to go home after that and then she wakes up and you're just like oh shit he well, yeah, is on he, a war path what's great is he convinces her that so he can do it on his own yeah because he knows that if he takes her with her something could happen to her and i love that scene too where he p- puts the shotgun on uh donnie's head and he's like wake her up yeah <laughs> and she and he does and he's like you want to come with me and she says yes <laughs> she says, no time to think about it just go <laughs> yeah um, um and then, then uh what nothing Oh, uh, yeah, and the whole hatchet thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for like the movie does a good job of like misdirecting me. Like, I that was one of those scenes where I thought, like, they're not going to cut his fingers off. Like, th- th- he's going to get away. And then, you know, when he's in the house in the finale, you know, he gets shot once and you think he might get out okay. 
and he gets wasted again. Um, and I guess Donnie uh, just died in the fire. <laughs> like just, yeah. He's unconscious and he has burned to death. Like that's pretty. Well, there is that added mystery of, because you see him fight Blanche and then. Yeah. Like uh, where did she go? Yeah. Margaret shows up and there's, yeah. you know, there's carnage, but you really don't know what happened. Yeah. yeah. That was the only part that I was like, uh, cause you know, she does, even though she has the drop on Margaret before she shoots her, you know, there's like enough time for Margaret to take her down. Um, yeah. you know, it would have been easy to be like, Oh, she's out of bullets. And then that makes sense. Um, and then what was the other thing that was like weird? Oh yeah. The, I was a little disappointed in, so, you know, Margaret makes the, you know, tells, uh, what's the, the native American kid's name. I forget. Peter. Peace. Yeah. yeah. She's like, Oh, you're coming to help me. And so he rides with her. And then, you know, after the, in the aftermath, you know, they kind of go their separate ways. And I was expecting like, you should come back to, you know, you can be a part of our family here. And she's just like, okay, well you should probably get going. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's kind of mean. The, I'm trying to think, I don't know if everybody else noticed this, but there's in that, in that final brawl, I, I could be wrong, but I believe I saw him punching one of them out with the hand that got the fingers chopped off. And I'm like, that's got to fucking hurt. Oh yeah. That was just like, it was like, like there's small things in it where I'm just like, that's adding to the impact here. Yeah. Also that like, so when Costner sneaks into the house, Mm -hmm. uh, like that whole scene is so silent yeah. As he's walking around, and the people behind me decided to use that time to have a whisper conversation that the whole audience could hear. Yeah. And then while I'm listening to that, I'm thinking, like, that's an old house. Like, how is his like how is he not creaking every one of those boards as he steps around? Like it finally kind of a little bit happens when he gets to the stairs. But that was like another point where I was like, really? Like, I'm not buying that he's that silent. I do. He's a silent assassin, Kevin Costner. I feel like I, I, I buy it only because the director, the director does this a couple times in the movie where he'll, he turns sound down to nearly nothing in ways that I've had to witness with doing the series that I did where like, if you turn down the sound where you want to, you'll achieve the effect that you want. Like, it was great. It was so unsettling. Yeah. Like that, like, and even the opening where you have a lot of, like, there's very little dialogue in that opening beyond that conversation in the kitchen. And then a lot of it is moving towards just, like, looking at people's faces, looking at how they're feeling throughout those moments. Um, they, and that by the time you get to that final scene, it all falls within that motif. Like, I like that this film is not, like, burdened with dialogue so that when dialogue happens, like with the Blanche character in that dinner scene, there is, like an added amount of tension because now suddenly everybody's talking and now something's like it's building, you know, it's building up towards something. Otherwise they wouldn't be dropping this dialogue here. Um, And, uh, and also the way it's shot in that house before the lights go on and the fire starts, like some beautiful, like that's why I like Ryan's description of noir because he's moving in and out of the shadows, like beautifully, like it's beautifully lit. Yep, movie's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, next week is Freaky on yeah. Friday the 13th, which looks fun. 
Hey, it's Freaky Friday the 13th. That's right. It's a slasher movie from Blumhouse that's rated R. Haven't had one of those since Halloween, so. Oh, it is rated R? Yeah. Holy shit. Cool. Why, why? It's only two weeks away. Like, why didn't they just do it on Halloween, do you think? Because of the 13th part? Yeah, I'm guessing they're playing up the Friday the 13th part. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm I'm down. I want to see a horror movie. Yeah. A funny one. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week at the movies. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.